thanks for joining us for another episode of Career Rocket. And I'm really excited to have my friend Jeff Lewis. I've known him for many years now. He's ridiculously smart, he's humble, he's funny, uh, he's a total hipster, and rides his bike to work like he's in Portland, even though uh, he lives in Raleigh. Well, hold on. Uh, is it a mountain bike or a road bike? What kind of bike is it, Jeff? Uh, it's sort of a hybrid in between the two. <laughs> totally like Portland. All right, gotcha. <laughs> so a little background on from his professional side. Uh, he grew up in Chicago, gradu- graduated under undergrad with a degree in statistics. And he spent eight plus years working for small cons- consulting firms, which heavily relied on data and quantitative techniques. And during that year, he sharpened his skill and expertise around data maintenance and exploration and did some coding there. Then he left Chicago to attend NC State's master's in analytics program, similar to our previous guest. And he came to North Carolina with a laptop and an air mattress, um, thinking he'd be back in Chicago in 10 months after the program was done. It's been 11 years and he's still here. So we're happy that he's still here. After grad school, uh, he went to work for ShareFile. And at the time when he joined the company, it was around 25 employees and he was, he was the only analyst. And when he left that company seven years later, uh, it had exploded to 900 employees and he had a team of analysts there. And currently he's at Pendo. Uh, he's been there for the last three years doing hands-on analysis, but spending more of his time managing and doing operations and strategies for that company. And just a quick personal background, he's been married for 10 years. Uh, He wants to give a shout out. His wife is an incredible human being. Uh, They have three kids, which keeps them very entertained. And he says he has hobbies that tend to have eras and his current era is in running. So again, really excited to have Jeff here to share some wisdom and hopefully uh, for listeners that uh, a lot of the advice that he gives will change your careers for the better. So Jeff, how have you been, my friend? I've been good. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, yep. it's been an interesting few months here. Yeah. You guys hanging in there? Yeah, we're hanging in. I mean, if you read the news for a while, there's a lot of people that are having a lot more struggles than we are right now. So it's been a challenge, but feel pretty fortunate. Yeah, I hear you. Didn't you just get a large round of support and funding right before the virus? Yeah, yeah. Yes, Pendo did have a round uh, not too long before. So that felt like very good timing, very good uh, foresight, I guess. Management is 50% skill and 50% timing and 50% luck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. All right. We're going to jump right in here. So how many people have you managed? And this includes direct reports in their teams over your career. I'd say probably 15 to 20. Okay. Which is awesome because I think having – manage people in that number too. You've been able to see those that have thrived and excelled and some that have not as much. And so 
looking forward to diving into your thoughts based off of the different career stages of what you felt were the uh, defining characteristics of exceptional players versus the not so much. And so looking forward to this one. Um, And we're going to start with entry level. And so we're talking first big uh, job out of college, one to three years into the job. What is, what do you feel like is a characteristic that defined an exceptional player, uh, especially in this entry level career stage? Yeah, I've, so during this entire uh, career, I've only really managed analysts. So all yep. these thoughts will be primarily focused around folks that are analysts. So I'd say the number one characteristic is curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think people that have just a natural desire to understand and solve problems rather than just waiting around for someone else to point them in the direction when it just kind of comes organically and naturally, I think those folks tend to thrive. Mm. How do you, just curious, talking about curiosity, (laughs) um, (laughs) how do you, let's say you're trying to see if someone you're hiring has this characteristic, how, how do you go about figuring out if someone is curious or not? Like what's a tell? Are there any telling signs? I would say I haven't been successful at at nailing it, but I think generally a a proxy for curiosity can be sort of enthusiasm for someone talking about things that they've done and projects they've worked on or things that they've been involved with. I think Mm -hmm. low, low levels of enthusiasm probably correlate with low curiosity is, is my guess, but that's, that's my best proxy at this point. Hmm. You know, this is just a a random thought I had recently about this Uh, around curiosity is I've always looking back at a lot of the people that I've worked with or managed the ones that, especially even in the interview process said they have like little side projects they work on because they they love tinkering with stuff i always felt like just based off of my the sample size i have is that there was like a high correlation to those that had these like personal side projects that they were very passionate about and curiosity interesting yeah yeah cool and so curiosity is your your the, the primary characteristics are there are there others maybe secondary that you'd like to share especially in this entry level career stage yeah i think just learning learning how to contribute and be a part of a team um having mm-hmm. a desire to want to do that and just understanding how the business or the team operates and figuring out how you can be helpful pretty generic but i feel like early on in in the career, the skills are a bit more generic. And so it's just understanding how to adapt in a workplace and, and find ways to make yourself helpful. And then when it comes to analysis, I think attention to detail early on is critical. So knowing the ins and outs and, and all the nuances of something can make you a, a master pretty quickly in, in certain subject areas. So I think that's a pretty critical skill to learn. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely worked with or overseen some analysts that weren't super 
high attention to detail, which is just, which is a problem, uh, especially in that discipline. So, like, how do you do? Do you have any thoughts around, or like, how have you dealt with anybody that maybe lacks this part of their skill set? Yeah, I, I just think the the benefit that an analyst brings to an organization is just knowing a level of the business you know they know it cold and so being able to converse with others and kind of it's not like you're trying to impress people with your knowledge of stats but you can you understand things because you're studying them so regularly that you can easily provide helpful pieces of information to people that aren't quite at that level and that helps them and helps the company move in the right direction and so i think my coaching to them is you should you should know this stuff cold it should be second nature whether you need to like email yourself reports on a daily basis to kind of watch what's happening or whatever it takes to do that but you should sort of essentially become a student of some of these things so that it's and constantly um reinforce it so that you just it becomes natural to you yeah that's a that's a great uh great tip yeah not sure if i would have uh I don't know if I would have made your cut as an analyst. I, I used to recommend to young analysts and consultants that on their first two or three projects, they get a hold of something and and master the knowledge and where it fits into the project and then use that, perhaps my business is a bit more mercenary, use that as a you know, prove that knowledge and expertise and then use that as a way to get greater scope or greater responsibility. You know? Look, I've shown you that I can, I, I'm the master of the data set we got. I'd like to have a bit more impact in what project management or something like that. And that sort of exchange gave them confidence and also gave them a, a reason to be asking rather than just sort of emptily asking to move up or asking for more scope. Does that make sense? Or does that sound a bit bare knuckles way to think about it? No, I think it's great. I mean, I think, if you have shown that you can dig in and master something, then it builds confidence that if you dip your toe into something new, that you'll have the same success. And so I think it makes a ton of sense. Awesome. Let's move on to the next career stage. And I, I call this mid-career, but it's between four to six years, three to six years. And so in this career stage, Jeff, what do you think is the the most important characteristic to have? In this one, I'd say presentation is the most important. I would actually say presentation is the the most underrated skill of the of the data scientist or the analyst. I think presenting anything, especially technical, can just get very boring very fast for the audience. And so mm-hmm being able to tell a compelling story, making sure people know why they should care. Um, I think making a presentation that's visually pleasing and not distracting, it can, that, those skills can be pretty big differentiators for people that excel and those that don't do as well kind of capturing their audience's attention. Yeah, <clears throat> and I, I totally agree with this. What do you, what, what have you done or do you have any tips on someone entering this career stage that they're really going to hone in on their presentation skills to like, what, what have you done that has allowed you to become a great presenter and a storyteller? I think 
given a lot of bad presentations is probably the answer. Um, I've, I've had, I've been just sort of thrown out there and, and had to do it and had to figure it out. And you kind of learned how to, how to read the room and when their uh, attention is drifting. I think practicing um, even to yourself, just saying out loud, if you're in a room by yourself, what you want to convey can help you kind of work your, and then I think visually the, I feel like early on people feel as if they need to cram a lot of details into a slide to show their competence and show that they know these things, but that often is distracting if you're asking someone to listen to you and read from a slide at the same time. And so resisting the urge to cram too much in to show that you've got this really sophisticated thing and just speak about it, knowing that you can speak to the details if necessary to prove that you have that knowledge, but not leading with it visually on a slide. Mm -hmm. Okay. So lots, lots of practice, just to kind of piggybacking off this. I, I'm curious when you present to, let's say a team of technical people like analysts versus you're presenting to maybe more executive levels, how, how do you, from a content standpoint, because you, you talked about, you know, don't stuff your slides with tons of uh, content or information, but like, do, do you, is your style of like what you put, how much content is put on there different from when you're presenting on a technical people versus the executives types of people? I don't think so. I think there is more likelihood that there will be a lot more technical questions when mm -hmm. presenting to technical people, but I still think mm -hmm. it's important to keep everyone understanding the high level and allowing the conversation to go down there if necessary, but not like starting mm -hmm. at that level. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, it's critical. I think it follows up on the, the theme I was testing before, which is, it's, it's important that you, you show people what you do and what you know, so they get a general sense of who you are. And I think in the type of work that we're talking about today, it, it's not enough to get the answer, as it were. It's, you got to communicate and be convincing. It's vital. Is there something even more specific, a, a training, a tactic, an approach that you think folks at this stage of career should take to know that they're communicating well? How do you really make sure it happens? Yeah, I mean... I, I think there are training courses that I've taken that have been helpful. Unfortunately, I can't recall any of those right off the top of my head, but I think you can probably find pretty good resources online of, of basic presentation skills. I think it's good to take a look at those. And I don't know, I'm just a firm believer that, and, and the folks that are kind of entering this stage that I'm managing now, I'm constantly trying to find ways for them to test this and, and practice it. Um, knowing that it might be imperfect or it wouldn't, they wouldn't do it in exactly the same way that I would do it, but it's good to sharpen those skills and get the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, totally agree. Cool. Is there, is there any other like, characteristics in this, in this stage following presentation that you think is important for people to think about? Yeah, I think the other thing where you kind of see people struggle a little bit, and it's sort of related to two of the other points I've already mentioned, it's the balance between this attention to detail versus kind of high level presenting 
executive level summaries, a lot of times I'll see folks that are unable to avoid or pull themselves pull themselves out of a going down a rabbit hole. And so they're way in the weeds and they kind of don't know when to stop and realize that the paths they're chasing aren't important. And on the other hand, if you kind of just go surface level and you don't have the details, it's probably not going to go very well because if someone asks you a couple of questions, you're going to be caught flat footed. And so that, that balance and knowing how to make the balance and when to dive deeper and when to pull out, I think is, it's just hard and something you have to learn over time. And I think it also comes, it, it happens as you become more confident where you're able to realize that, you know, if someone asks a very detailed question, you can talk them out of it being a rabbit hole versus something that's important to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what you just talked about is even harder than the, the presentation piece, which is with presentation, you go through and like you said, you try it and practice and you continue to sharpen it. But then you layer on top of that, even within presentations or how you have conversations of with the audiences is weaving in and out of kind of high level to how much detail, right? And right. finding finding that flow of the two is really difficult. Do you have any do you have any tips or I don't know, like books or videos you've seen around this of how, how do you how do you start to master the this trade off? Yeah. I mean I think the best tip hard. I have the best tip I have is to walk away when you feel like you are really in the weeds on something. I will often mm -hmm. step aside for either until the next day or, I don't know, put a couple hours aside. But I think that often helps to sort of bring you back and realize that, you know, with maybe some, I don't know, unconscious thought about it or just stepping away from a problem and coming back, oftentimes you can then realize that you are too deep um, and that maybe you're facing a path that doesn't really matter. Alternatively, just if you are able to kind of pull yourself out, think like, how does, how does getting this solution going to, if I had to summarize this path that I'm on, how would I do it to an executive team and would they care? And so I think mm -hmm. that oftentimes pulls you out like, hey, you know, the CFO is not going to care about this detail. And so I don't mm -hmm. know that I need to go down to this level. Of stuff. Yeah, that's a great, great tip. Yeah. So if you find yourself going or spending a, a ton of time in, in detail for too long, then just taking a step back and coming back to it maybe a little bit later with some perspective. Yep. Awesome. All right. Let's move on to like, to a manager role, mm -hmm. what what do you think is if you had to give one the most important advice or characteristic at this level? What have you experienced, and what are great managers that you've seen that you think this is like the exceptional characteristic? The first word that uh, comes to mind for me is authenticity. I think managers that I've had that just felt natural and didn't seem like they were they were fully transparent and they weren't attempting to be someone that was different from who they naturally were i think those folks kind of really resonate with me and i i found that i've gotten along best with those managers that have had you know been very authentic 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, that's a dynamite point. What has been your experience providing feedback to managers that are not hitting the bar in terms of being genuine? It's hard to do. Very hard to do. I've been fortunate to, I, I started out by having a pretty inauthentic manager. And so I had no idea how to give feedback to him when I was, you know, 21, 22 years old. I've had the uh, fortune of not really having that problem since the first one. And so I, I can't answer it because I haven't really had to do it other than early on in my career where I just sort of didn't even try. <laughs> hmm. Would, d- does that speak to the fact that it's kind of a gating quality for managers, at least in, in your space? Is there, is there an industry-wide or domain-wide conclusion we can draw from your experience, do you think? Uh, perhaps. I think I've gotten pretty lucky, honestly. <laughs> I, I would say there are adjacent managers um, that are in the similar space that maybe that weren't managing me, but that I feel like may may have been may have done better by being a little bit more uh, genuine. Yep. Right on. Makes sense. Yeah. Thanks. And knowing you, and I'm just taking a guess here too, though, is maybe because of your characteristic and, you know, how genuine you, you are, maybe that's also allowed your managers to be authentic and transparent as well. So just to throw that out there. Could could be, could be, this is getting deep. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, like, right, if, if as a manager, if you have someone that is transparent and genuine, then you're also most more likely to be that. And so True. I, I, would, I would say, you know, not just credit all your all your past managers, but probably credit yourself as well, right, that you're able to create that type of relationship. Got it. I think that makes sense. Cool. All right. Looking back. Uh, can you share what you feel have been your biggest drivers to your successful career so far? Yeah, so kind of bringing back that same point, I think having managers that understand the value of my work, I think I think in analytics especially, you know, it still gets quite a bit of press and it, it's, it seems to be a pretty sexy topic in a lot of businesses about how that people are doing these these cool innovative projects but i think a lot of folks still still don't really understand it a lot of times and so i think that's a tough position to be in if you're an analyst and you're doing these things that make sense to you and trying trying your best to communicate why they matter to your manager but if they're just not understanding the value it's it's just hard mm-hmm. to succeed and so i think that's something i've been fortunate to have managers that quickly understood what it was I was doing and, and sort of lobbied on my behalf within the organization. Mm. I also think just timing and good luck have been on my side as well. So I got into the field when it wasn't, analytics wasn't even a word and it, it wasn't like it was this thing that everyone was talking about. I just took a course in stats and it was the only one that I actually kind of enjoyed and just kind of went with it and stayed in the field. And then, you know, in the, I don't know, late 2000s era, it just kind of blew up. And so I think that's just been very good luck on, on my part that I happened to be in a, in a industry that kind of became very popular. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I'll, I'll go back to as well when, you know, people say that they're lucky. I, I would also, I also 
take a step back and think about that of, you know, these people who are lucky often are the ones that also take advantage of the opportunities at hand. And so, yes, I, I think it's good timing and of, of course some luck, but also would give yourself some credit on, you have to have these uh, strong characteristics that define you and what has driven you to, to success. And you might consider it luck, but I, I would also think that a lot of it was your own own doing and your discipline. Yeah. yeah, I mean, actually, so I will say one thing about sort of an emerging field where where it's maybe people don't exactly know what it is you're supposed to do or how to manage you because it's a newer type of role is I was very comfortable with ambiguity. And so I mm-hmm. think that led to a lot of success as well because, I mean, I've had interviews before where people have kind of said like we don't we don't exactly know what you're going to do in an attempt to make sure that I wasn't going to be scared off by that and have some desire to have someone giving me tasks every week and so I think Mm -hmm. embracing ambiguity and kind of going back to one of my first points about like figuring out how to be helpful and and contribute was something that I really embraced and I think that translated well for me yeah great point if there was if there was one thing you would like to tell someone earlier on in their career that you wish someone had told you, what would that be? One of the core values at Sharefile was uh, focus on solutions, not problems. And I was already several years into my career at that point, and I wish uh, someone would have reinforced <laughs> that early on in my career. It took me a kind of a while to realize that you know, you can, you can talk about all the problems. There's problems everywhere and you can constantly talk about them. And at some point you realize that no, I mean, people care, but you know, there's, there's always going to be problems and not just like wallowing in the problems and continue to like share them with someone expecting them to solve them for you. It's just not the way things are going to happen. So yeah. Yeah. I'll learn that one. Yeah. No, that's a great, I mean, I think that's a, awesome career advice not just for not just for the professional career but just life in general yeah yeah for sure (laughs) yeah so that's awesome all right looking ahead where do you think are the upcoming hot spots in careers uh, around your discipline i mean i'm sure i should probably say artificial intelligence because it seems to be the hot spot everywhere (laughs) but um I, I'm still probably a little old school when it comes to analytics. And I think even for someone who isn't on the, the cutting edge of analytical technology and trends in data science, I still think there's so much opportunity. And even in the basics, applying those techniques to industries where maybe analytics haven't been fully adopted. And so I feel like the, the basic concepts of being a data-driven organization will continue to cascade down to industries where data isn't really a thing now. And so I feel like there will be plenty of opportunities for years to come in a wide variety of industries. Okay. Well, that that's a relief. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> All right. A couple more questions. What are the interesting challenges you anticipate will be coming up in your discipline in the coming years? I think automation, the number of tools out there and solutions that are automating things in the data science space just continues to continue to see them day after day. 
I think I think automation is going to impact analysis of the most in the in the immediate future, and so a lot of these tools are kind of doing the the modeling. But I still think there is a lot of human value or humans can add a lot of value when it comes to data that you're using to feed those models. And then most important is interpreting and summarizing the output of those models back to, you know, non-technical audiences. I think those skills will still be needed for a long time. And I, I think even if a piece of that chain is automated, there's still a lot of stuff that a person can, can, where a person can add value. Mm. And which goes along the lines of that importance of presentation, right? When it comes to interpreting the analysis and the model, but then being able to share that and present that in a way that makes sense. Right. Awesome. All right. Last question. And and the reason why I invited you as a guest is that I not only want people who are who I consider very successful and smart, but also people who I feel like are genuinely grounded and happy. And so I always like to ask this question, what does living abundantly mean to you and how have you carried it out? That's a tough one. I think I'm just the kind of person that has always had many interests. And so Mm -hmm. I don't think... I've ever considered that my job, my professional career really defines who I am, that I just Mm -hmm. am interested in having success and, and finding enjoyment in a variety of things. And so it's just sort of one area of focus in my life. I mean, it's, it's an important one and I'm not saying that I don't, I don't take it seriously, but there's certainly other things that I'm, certainly equally, if not more passionate about. And so I think that helps with perspective on focusing too much on career versus other things. Mm-hmm. And you, you say be successful in, in a variety of ways. And so I know you're in your current role and in your past role, that that's, it's a pretty busy and intense type of uh, work. Do you have any tips on how to balance that piece of the day-to-day hard work in the career, but then balancing off with your family or hobbies or other things that you're passionate about. Do you have any tips on how to, to maintain and optimize that, that balance? Um, I would say if you're able to uh, walk or bike to work, to and from work, mm-hmm. I found the biggest challenges I've had are when I'm kind of wound up and really focused on details at work and the transition from that to walking in the door of your house where you may or may not have one to three crazy young children kind of like hanging on to you, asking you questions and, and, you know, the craziness that ensues there. I think when there's some separation where you can kind of, for me, getting in a car doesn't really ease the tension. And so if I'm commuting in a car, it's sort of, I, I maintain that level of, I don't know, stress or whatever, Mm -hmm. having, having the ability to clear your mind a bit with a walk or a bike ride has been magical for me. Actually, one of my friends Mm -hmm. told me that his, his commute was too short. You don't hear about this too often, but his commute was too short so that he couldn't decompress. So he would drive to a park and sit on a bench for a while and then get in his car and drive back (laughs) home just to get some more time. So, 
anyway, huh. that's my, my best tip. Wow. That's a, that's a really interesting one. Yeah. I never would have thought that that would have been like the tip, but yeah, that's awesome. Cause I mean, it, it is true, right? When you, when you get home, assuming your family is one of your most important things, right? Is you need to show up to your family, just like you show up to work. Exactly. And I think a lot of people don't make that uh, switch or transition. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a great tip. And I like the fact that I like the fact that it's so that it's intentional. Yeah. Although we talk about commute is something that maybe we don't control. It's intentional. Yeah. I used to travel four days a week and I didn't have to think about it because mm. uh, there's always a plane flight or something. Mm. And now that I'm not traveling, I have to intentionally do it. Um, I, going to that notion of intentionality, are there other things that you think we should think about doing with our schedules intentionally? things we should control with the way that we manage our time for ourselves as well as for our employers. I think wherever it is in your day, whether it's early in the morning or, you know, a lot time at lunch, I just think making sure you set aside time to, to think, and maybe it's not like, I, I call it sort of like subconscious thinking, but just having a chance to think about things without maybe it's while you're doing something else. But I feel like that is something that I try to be intentional about. It, it happens to jive well with my current era of hobby of running and that I do it. I mean, I think physically there's a lot of benefits there, but I find that coming out of a run, it's where I often have more interesting ideas just because there's nothing else I can do, but think. So it's, it's helpful to have that time set aside to just kind of let my mind wander and, and think about things. And I think I'm intentional about doing that, not just to you know have some physical fitness, but also to have my mind, let my mind wander a little bit. I love it. Mind, body, heart. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's along the lines of uh, what what you had, William, for this question as well. So, awesome. So, <laughs> wrapping up, Jeff. Thanks so much for uh, spending time with us and answering all these hard questions. But again, I hope that for the for the listeners here, especially those that are starting out their careers and in mid career flight, that you're able to take the wisdom that. Jeff was able to share and apply it because if you do those things in the long run, I truly believe that your, your trajectory and your career will change. So again, Jeff, thank you so much and I look forward to catching up later. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye.